Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let that one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my parent in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. These are our sacred stories. Covenant Church, an ecumenical liberal Baptist congregation, was never allowed in the Baptist General Convention of Texas. Back in 1965, when our church was founded, we refused to make baptism a requisite for membership, and thus we were denied membership in the convention. Another aspect of the denial was the rumor that wine was consumed during... You haven't even heard the rumor yet. That wine was consumed during deacon meetings. It's true. In 1992, we removed ourselves from the larger Southern Baptist Convention. We wrote a respectful but clear letter explaining that their views of refusing LGBTQ plus inclusion in the church and disallowing women clergy meant that we could no longer partner with them. We left them. But many Baptist churches, instead of being denied in the first place or choosing to leave, have been kicked out of their state conventions and or the Southern Baptist Convention. They've been told that they're no longer welcome. The most recent removals were of churches where women were the senior ministers. Baptists are not the only ones trying to sort out who is in and who is out. Consider what's happening with the Methodists, what's been happening for decades. Consider the policies and the rhetoric about our borders. Consider college admissions. Who is welcomed and who gets help? Legacy programs are fine, but affirmative action is no longer. Consider all the cries and policies about what books can be offered as reading material. Consider what health care is given and to whom it is given. Who is in and who is out? It's no easy matter. Well, sometimes it's easy. We can unfriend with the click of a mouse. But disfellowshipping from communities should not be simple. It isn't simple. I mean, who decides who's in and who's out? And on what grounds should such decisions be made? 
Many, when seeking to support excommunication or disfellowshipping, point to the only passage in the Gospels that offers any advice on the subject, the passage you've just heard me read. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take two or three others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Before we get into this advice, it's worth noting what comes before and what comes after these words in the chapter. This chapter begins with our friends, the disciples, arguing about which one of them is the greatest in the kingdom of God. I love those guys. Jesus calls a child over to them and puts them puts the child in the midst of them and says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you won't enter the kingdom of God. Whoever becomes humble like a child is the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever welcomes one such as a child in my name welcomes me. Let's be clear, children at the time of Jesus were at the bottom of the social hierarchy. The disciples are arguing about who is the greatest, and Jesus says, you're all at the bottom, humble as mud. You're all equal, equal at the bottom. It's from that place of equality, the fertile soil of shared value, that all are welcomed. This place of shared welcome comes before the advice about conflict. And then just after the words about what to do when a member has sinned against you, just after that we read, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? as many as seven times. And Jesus says to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. That's in Matthew and Luke, it's 70 times seven times. Either way, you've forgotten to keep count by the time you get there. So when we consider the process outlined in Matthew, we must consider that it's surrounded by welcome and equality and forgiveness. We also should note that it encourages listening and dialogue. Conflict doesn't have to mean the end of community. It can mean, and likely should mean, difficult conversations. It can mean real listening and authentic sharing. Every group with which we're affiliated has conflict because People are unique. Diversity is a given. Engagement with diversity is not a given. It takes work. Work, not just tolerance, although sometimes tolerance is the only hope 
for, say, Thanksgiving dinner. Y'all don't have Thanksgiving with my family, I can tell. <laughs> we'll talk about that at coffee next week. <laughs> Diana Eck, who's a professor of comparative religion at Harvard, writes, tolerance is a necessary public virtue, but tolerance is too thin a foundation for a world of difference and proximity. It does nothing to remove our ignorance of one another, and it leaves in place the stereotype, the half-truth, the fears that underline old patterns of division and violence. So Eck encourages more than tolerance. She encourages a paradigm of pluralism, which does not require us to leave our identities or our commitments behind. Pluralism means holding our deepest differences, even religious differences, not in isolation, but in relationship to one another. Tolerance is indeed a thin foundation, and in many ways and in many places, it is crumbling. Instead of dialogue and pluralism, ignorance, stereotypes, half-truths, fears, and old patterns of violence, are becoming dominant ways of being together in the world. The temptation to divide ourselves into us and them, where we are good and they are bad, where we are wise and they are fools, has perhaps become greater than I have ever seen it in my lifetime. A detente of tolerance and agreement on basic principles seems to have been largely tossed aside for unwavering allegiance and unmoving convictions. It's hard to know how to be true and authentic and still maintain relationships. It's hard to know when the relationship is no longer life-giving and should be abandoned. Sometimes we do need to walk away. And sometimes we need to stay and keep having difficult conversations. Think Kenny Rogers, the gambler. You gotta know when to fold them, know when to hold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. You better count, we need to keep going. Sometimes it's time to fold them and walk away. And sometimes, it's time to hold them and stay the course. Either way, let's surround our decisions and our dialogue with welcome, with the knowledge that we're starting all at the same place, like those disciples, common as mud, humble. Let's surround our decisions and our dialogue with welcome and forgiveness. If our community matters to us, and when we disagree, let's talk about it. Let's truly listen. And where conversation is not possible, maybe we need to read these words from Matthew, have a difficult conversation when we need to have one. And if nothing changes, focus our energies and our passions where we can be part of solutions. My hope is for a renewal of civil conversation dialogue, 
dialogue where speaking and listening are part of what we do. Dialogue doesn't mean we agree. It means we engage. We know how to do this. Dialogue is the way siblings of radically different ideologies come together to care for an aging parent. It's how neighbors of varying religions and cultures and traditions can respect and celebrate each other as they care for a community garden. It's how we, as a diverse city, can come together to care for each other as we do after each and every hurricane, after that ice storm. And if we're going to take the advice given in Matthew 18, not only do we need at least three conversations, but if those don't work, we're encouraged to let such a one, the offender, such a one, be to us as a Gentile and a tax collector. How does Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Matthew was a tax collector and he's welcomed as one of the disciples. Jesus eats with Zacchaeus at his house. Zacchaeus, in addition to being a wee little man, was a tax collector. Tax collectors as a general group are regularly listed among those with whom Jesus spends time. Gentile interactions in the Gospels are less common the Gospel of Matthew contains two interactions between Jesus and Gentiles, and in both cases, Jesus welcomes and heals. In these days, when so many Americans are turning away from dialogue and toward dogma, it's important to remember that the only place in the Gospels where anything like excommunication or disfellowshipping is found is nestled between welcome and forgiveness, encourages difficult conversations, and in the end, reminds us to continue to treat each other with respect and kindness. I do love how this passage ends. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. God is here, ever near, among us and always present. In just a moment, after we sing a hymn, we'll be invited to this meal of welcome. My friends, no one has ever denied this bread and wine and water. Whoever you are, you are welcome to eat and to drink. You're welcome to know that you are loved and included. There will be serving stations up front and outside. There are cup holders in your chair for your cups. As we sing our hymn, I wanna ask you to rest in welcome. Rest in belonging. Rest in love. Amen.